Hello, my rebels. Today I go through, I skip ahead a couple months and say, all right, so let's just take a scenario where Donald Trump loses, whether he loses fair or loses rigged. Let's say he loses. What will America be like when he's gone? What will the world be like? What will China think? What will Iran think and Israel? What will oil and gas drillers in Pennsylvania think? What will Cuban and Venezuelans in Miami think? I'll go through the whole thing, and we'll talk to Ben Weingarten, too. That's all ahead. Before I get there, let me invite you to become a Rebel News Plus subscriber. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. It's 8 bucks a month or 80 bucks for the whole year in advance, and that's how we pay the bills around here. We don't take any money from Justin Trudeau. Just go to rebelnews.com and subscribe, if you please. Okay, here's today's podcast. Tonight, what will happen if Trump loses? It's November 6th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say is I don't believe Trump lost the election. I think he won the election until the Democrats saw that and panicked and literally stopped the vote counting on election night till they could rig it. Have you ever heard of counting just stopping before it's done and then sending everybody home, leaving the ballots all alone? Oh, and then presto, just finding tens or hundreds of thousands of new ballots. What are the odds to believe that they're all for Joe Biden? I mean 100%, not even 99%. Even Saddam Hussein only claimed 99%. But 100% to believe that is real is to believe that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. But let's stop arguing about recounts and lawsuits and challenges. It's hard to keep up. Personally, I I think the Democrats are going to steal it. It's what they're best at. They rigged the rules as hard as they could, and then they took those rigged rules and bent them as far as they could and broke them where they could. Here's Attorney General William Barr on this a few months back. This is, you know, it's th- reckless. Well, this is a, you know, sort of cheap talk to get around the fundamental problem, which is the bipartisan commission chaired by Jimmy Carter and James Baker said back in 2009 that mail-in voting is fraught with the risk of fraud and coercion. But since then, and, there have and been until a lot this of admin- no, well, sorry, that haven't proved it. Let me talk. Yeah, please. Uh, and since, this, since that time, there have been, in the newspapers, in networks, academic studies saying it is open to fraud and coercion. The only time the narrative changed is after this administration came in. But elections that have been held with mail have found substantial fraud and coercion. For example, we indicted someone in Texas, 1,700 ballots collected he ma- from people who ha- could vote. He made them out and voted for the person he wanted to. Okay? Because that I'll- kind of thing happens with mail-in ballots, are, and everyone knows But that. there are individual uh, cases, but as far as widespread fraud... We haven't seen that since... Uh, well, we, have, we haven't had the kind of widespread use of mail-in ballots that's being proposed. We've had absentee ballots from people who request them from a specific address. Now what we're talking about is mailing them to everyone on the voter list when everyone knows those voter lists are inaccurate. 
People who should get them don't get them, which is what has been one of the major complaints in states that have tried this in, in municipal elections. And uh, people who get them are not the right people. They're people who have replaced the, the previous occupant, and they can make them out. And sometimes multiple ballots come to the same address with a whole genera several generations of occupants. Do you think that's a way to run a vote? Well, uh, the only thing I'm saying is that so far we haven't seen widespread fraud. But you, so far we haven't tried it. Well, and the point there's is that a lot of us. The, uh, there are several states that only have mail-in voting, including a Republican. Well, state this like is Utah. playing with fire. This is playing with fire. We're a very closely divided country here, and if people have to have confidence in the results of the election and the legitimacy of the government, and people trying to change the rules to this to this methodology, which, as a matter of logic, is very open to fraud and coercion is reckless and dangerous and the people are playing with fire well, I... yeah that happened I mean who literally boards up windows while they're counting votes so it can be done in secret that's nuts that's life in Democrat run cities though here's the governor of Texas the second largest state pointing out he managed to get it all counted the night of with plenty of scrutineers huge state why can't a city like Philadelphia get it counted well of course it can, but they weren't counting, they were rigging. And to do that, you have to wait to see how many votes Trump was going to get fairly, so you know how many more you have to find. But enough, let's assume, let's assume the tricksters win, the hucksters, the lawyers, the liars, the corrupt ones. I, I think they probably will win. It's their expertise. They don't have a sense of fair play. You know that because they were talking about doing whatever it took just a few weeks ago when... Amy Coney Barrett was confirmed as a judge, perfectly legal, perfectly constitutional, but the Democrats even back then were talking about changing the rules, packing the courts, destroying their nonpartisan nature of the courts. I've never heard Republicans do that, say that, not even after they lose, like in the 2008 and 2012 presidential elections. Democrats do it all the time, and now they might win and have the chance. So what next? On election night, the Chinese currency plunged briefly, for the hours that it appeared Donald Trump was going to win. That tells you something, doesn't it? And American stocks rose during that time. That tells you something. But that's over now. Now China is celebrating. They can't help themselves. Here's Chen Weihua from China Daily. I believe I won't tweet nearly as much as in the past two years, starting January 20th, because I don't have to reply to Trump and Pompeo's daily slander on China. I don't expect Biden and his future Secretary of State, whoever he or she is, to be that type of low life. So that's an official Chinese government newspaper. That's the Chinese government celebrating the win. Same with this guy, Hu Jin. Various articles introducing Biden's life have become popular on the internet in China. The tragedy of him losing close family members has aroused sympathy among Chinese people. His failed bids for presidency in the past have also helped create an image of a tenacious man. They're just letting Joe Biden know he's well-loved in China. He and his son are welcome back anytime to do business, and the big guy can take as much commission as he wants. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because you're relying on the mainstream media, which did not report the Hunter Biden laptop scandal. By the way, Iran is pretty excited, too. Here's a story from Breitbart. Iran, Western hegemony is over as U.S. no longer controls the world. The U.S. government no longer controls what's happening in the world, the Iranian foreign minister said on Thursday, hours after Iranian President Hassan Rouhani predicted the next administration in Washington would surrender to the Islamic Republic and revert to the nuclear deal. 
referring to Donald Trump as the gentleman in the White House, Rouhani said the president ruthlessly increased sanctions on Tehran, essentially declaring economic war while the country battled against the COVID-19 crisis. Yeah, so China and Iran are pretty pumped right now. I'd be scared if I were, say, Taiwan, Israel, the three Muslim countries that just made peace with Israel. I'd be scared if I believed a strong NATO was necessary because you know they're going to backslide immediately with Biden there instead of Trump. If I were ISIS, I'd think about rebuilding. Remember, Obama and Biden let ISIS run a whole country for years. Trump mopped them up in a matter of weeks. If I were Putin, I'd be thinking about eating some neighborhood countries again. If I were North Korea, I'd start lobbing some missiles again. I mean, why not? Biden didn't do anything as vice president. Why would he do anything now? I'd be worried if I were in the fracking business or anyone in oil and gas or pipelines or drilling. Okay, I have one final would question. Would he close it down falls, the oil industry? It falls. W- would you close it down falls. the oil industry? By the way, I would transition from the oil industry, yes. Oh, I would that's transition. a big statement. That it is a big statement. That's a because big statement. I would stop. Why would you do that? Because the oil industry pollutes significantly. Oh. I see. Here's the deal. But That's you can't a big do statement. That. Well, if you let me finish the statement, because it has to be replaced by renewable energy over time, over time. And I'd stop giving to the oil industry, I'd stop giving them federal subsidies. He won't give federal subsidies to the, to the gas, excuse me, to, the, to uh, solar and wind. Yeah. Why are we giving it to oil industry? We actually do All give right. it to solar and wind. We and that's maybe the biggest question. statement in terms of business. That's the biggest statement. Okay. Because basically what he's saying question, is he is Mr. going President. to destroy the oil industry. Okay. Will you remember that, Texas? Will you okay. remember that, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma? Vice President Biden. That's no good. I mean, do you really think the Keystone XL pipeline is going to go through now? Do you, do you think Trudeau is going to fight for it? I'm just kidding. So, yeah, more bad news for Alberta. Uh, bad news for the police. The defunding police people are in charge. Good news for Antifa, the defunding police people are in charge. Don't think you can protect yourself, though. Biden has made it clear he's going to do away with the guns as far as he can. Here's what he wrote just last weekend. It's long past time we take action to end the scourge of gun violence in America. As president, I'll ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines, implement universal background checks, and enact other common-sense reforms to end our gun violence epidemic. That won't stop gun crimes in, say, Chicago. But those black lives don't matter to Democrats, it seems. Latinos loved Trump, or more precisely, Latinos from Cuba and Venezuela, who didn't want to see socialism again. So um, I see a lot of punishments coming for them. Watch for lots of love shown to those communist regimes by Biden. Maybe another trip to Cuba, like Obama did. Maybe a trip to Caracas, too. But the main thing is domestic politics. They'll move to make the steel permanent, pack the courts by adding half a dozen Democrat judges to ensure they'll win any challenges to anything else they do. Use executive orders for anything and everything from mask mandates to enforcing transgender extremism. That was a big thing for Biden and the Democrats. But let me tell you something, black trans women are being killed in this country and CNN, you have erased black trans women for the last time. Let me tell you something, black 
trans women are dying, our lives matter. I am an extraordinary black trans woman, and I deserve to be here. My black trans sisters that are here, I am tired. I am so tired. I'm just sitting there, and it's not just my black trans women, it's my black trans brothers, too. And I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. No, I'm going to come here. No, no, I just want to ask you something. Come here. Tell me. Come here. I want you to talk. What's your name? Blossom C. Brown. Blossom, let me ask you. Google me. Blossom. Please Google me. Blossom, thank you. Let me tell you something. Let me, let me, no, don't come on the stage. Don't okay, come on the okay. stage. Can, may I have the mic? Okay. May I have the mic? Blossom, let me okay. tell you something. The reason that we're here is to validate people like you. That is why we're giving, but that is why we're here. Okay. But I. Yeah. Yeah. Hang on. We can't hear you. Blossom, we can't hear you. Here. Blossom, we can't hear you. Baby, your actions have to speak louder than words because guess what? Not one black trans woman has taken the mic tonight. You're... Not one black trans man has taken the, bla- uh, the mic tonight. Yeah. Show me. You blossom. Show me. Blossom. Okay, thank you. I appreciate it. Blossom, you're a black trans woman. You have the mic in your hand. I've given, I've taken and given it back to you. We want to hear from you. We have had trans people of color. We've had all people here. And you're welcome. But we, but we are proud and happy that you're here. We're proud and happy that you're here. Yes, but remember, we, we're on our time constraint. All right. Thank you, Blossom, and I appreciate it. Yeah, that's how anti-blackness works amongst people of color. That's what mm-hmm. anti-blackness looks like. The erasure of black trans people. All right. I'm here. We're here in this room. Please give us that opportunity. Blossom, thank you so much. I don't know why Trump didn't go harder on that issue. If Biden wins, you'll see women's and girls' sports pretty much snuffed out in five years, I predict as any boys and men who can't hack it on the, the boys' team, the second Raiders, they go to beat the girls by saying they're trans. You bet they will. Uh, it's true the U.S. economy is roaring right now. Huge V-shaped recovery, as they call it. But you put Kamala Harris in the vice president's chair, and she'll be the de facto president in a few months. You know she will. And you've got a poison pill to make every capitalist put their plans on the shelf for a while. I mean, seriously, she put this video up on the Internet just a few days ago in her closing argument on the election. She'll give not just socialism, but full-out communism. Watch for yourself. This is her whole ad. So there's a big difference between equality and equity. Equality suggests, oh, everyone should get the same amount. The problem with that, not everybody's starting out from the same place. So if we're all getting the same amount, but you started out back there and I started out over here, we can get the same amount, but you're still going to be that far back behind me. It's about giving people the resources and the support they need so that everyone can be on equal footing and then compete on equal footing. Equitable treatment means we all end up at the same place. Yeah, you see why the Cubans and Venezuelans didn't vote for her. Neither did people in Michigan or Pennsylvania or Wisconsin or Arizona or Nevada or Georgia, but there's enough trickery on the ground there to make up for that. Trump had huge rallies, massive, tens of thousands of people at a time, and he had five rallies a day near the end. Biden had just a few weird social distancing circles. He campaigned for maybe half an hour a day, but he didn't need to campaign. Because it's not who casts the vote, it's who counts the vote, silly. What a shame for America and for the world. Stay with us for more.
you tuned in to watch our almost nine-hour broadcast on Tuesday night, the night of the U.S. presidential election, you will know our next guest, Ben Weingarten, a fellow of the Claremont Institute, a columnist with Newsweek, and he was our in-the-states expert. I should tell you before we go to Ben today that Justin Trudeau's CBC state broadcaster reported 378,000 viewers on Tuesday night, 378,000. I can tell you that YouTube records that we had 308,000 viewers, a little bit less than the CBC, but then again, we get a little bit less cash from the taxpayer than them too, don't you think? Well, here's Ben joining us now, again via Skype. Ben, good to see you. I hope you had a chance to catch up on your sleep, or have you been staying up late each night with the shenanigans of the vote counting and miscounting and ballot packing. Uh, what do you make of the last few days? I must admit it's been a few sleepless nights on my end uh, and, and really for reasons that transcend this particular election and, and, and sort of the demoralizing turn of events uh, where it's, it feels as if uh, defeat was, was snatched from the jaws of victory in some respects. And I, I think Really, my my main sort of uh, depression stems from the fact that had this been a normal election where most people voted in person, as they always do, therefore mitigating the chance of fraud, where there were substantial regulations and rules put in place in terms of authentication and verification of who the person is, like a photo ID, for example, and the president had lost on election night or shortly thereafter, Every conservative in the country would have accepted it, obviously, grudgingly and with much consternation, et cetera. But the way this went down, the process by which it has gone down is something where the confidence in the integrity of our electoral system has been shaken in the minds of about half the country, in almost the minds of almost 70 million Americans. And that's something that we're not going to be able to recover from in the near term and maybe ever. And so that is really what I find to be uh, the most painful aspect of this. Obviously, we don't know how the election is going to shake out, but even if the president ultimately prevails and sort of runs the table with respect to the litigation that, that's currently underway and the recounts and the like, and it's certainly possible, certainly within the realm of probability, the bottom line is that our faith in the system will never be restored, I don't believe, after what transpired. And, and that's something that will make this, if Joe Biden, so Joe Biden, I'd put in air quotes, but the, the Biden-Harris ticket does enter the office. In some respects, it'll be a Pyrrhic victory for them because half of the country will never feel that this is fully legitimate. Yeah. Well, I only disagree with a single letter you said. You talked about a broken system, but I would say broken systems because it's one thing to have clearly anomalies, 23,000 votes suddenly found, and exactly 23,000 out of 23,000 are for Biden, not a single one for Trump. So it looks like the steal is happening so brazenly, but that's because other systems are broken too. Media skepticism, media curiosity, um, social media where ordinary people can share things. I was scrolling through the president's Twitter feed and about 50% of his comments are being blocked by Twitter, used to be the politician censored the media. Now the media is censoring the politician. And so I think that what's so demoralizing for me, and I'm not even an American, I'm just a, a, a fan from abroad, is that the voting rules are broken, 
But the other checks and balances that ought to be there and certainly would be there if, God forbid, it were Republicans trying to steal the vote, the media, the judges, the law professors, uh, every other force in society, they're colluding with the great steal. That's just as depressing to me, is to read journalists saying, oh, look at Trump, he just won't go quietly, he's the one with the coup. That's what's, that's what's terrifying to me, is the unanimity and the, the collusion amongst the entire establishment. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, it, it, and it sort of makes us a, a one-party state, in effect, and, and I, I'd incorporate into the state not just the federal bureaucracy that 99% hates the president or the vast majority of the legislative branch or most of the judges in the country, but then, to your point, the corporations, media, big tech, the academy, entertainment, all of it follows the same line, even wh whether you're Republican or Democrat falling in that establishment, it's the same thing. They all hate him. They hate what the president represents. They hate the millions of people who adore him and the others who vote for him as, in effect, a giant middle finger to the establishment that so looks down upon them. And I think and I'm working on something on this that I might publish. Uh, really, President Trump, of his many achievements, Perhaps the greatest achievement of all has been in exposing the rot and corruption in our system. And he's exposed that rot and corruption because the establishment that so hates him exposed itself in its willingness to destroy all the institutions that they claim to be defending to try to take him down. So this is just one more act in the perpetual coup that's been undertaken against him. But it's really not about him. It's really about the millions of people who support him and what he represents which is an anti-establishment, outsider, blue-collar billionaire who is brash, who's essentially pro-American, patriotic, traditional, and his sole ethos is American greatness, making America great again. It's not conservatism or libertarianism or progressivism or anything else. It's let's make the country better. Let's live in the same traditional place where we believe in family and country and, and American workers and putting our troops and their families first. And that's a message that clearly resounded with millions of people. And it's not going away after this. If anything, the millions of people who love and adore the president and who feel scorned by this establishment that looks down upon them, if anything, are going to feel even more scorned and more motivated to want to go out there and express themselves and probably run for office. And so this movement's not going away. And even if the Republican establishment would like to see it go away, it's not in their political interest to because they all rode his coattails during this election. But more to the point, there are millions of people out there who have been activated in a way that's unique in American history. He's been a unique force. I hope that force will continue for the next four years. But even if it doesn't, it's still going to exist in the American political scene, and that's for the good of the country, in my view. Yeah, it's like the Tea Party squared on so many things. It's like the Tea Party, but for regulation and media and censorship. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's so large. Um, you know, I want to come back to your point about the, the scorn. And you're right. A lot of the Republican establishment that were happy to... Uh, reap the benefits of, of, from Trump have been quite silent these past few days. Um, but I just want to show you a couple of things that caught my eye. Late night TV comedy hosts. Now, I know I shouldn't pay any attention to them, but they are at the apex of our society, enjoying everything, the wealth, the technology, the freedom, and, f and the dripping, abusive condescension. I mean, 
here's just a quick clip of Jimmy Kimmel uh, showing how, how deeply Americans have disappointed him and how he overestimated Americans. Here, take a look at this clip. I mean, what more did Donald Trump have to do to show us that he's insane and not fit to lead this country? I feel like I overestimated the American people and I underestimated the village people. I mean, that's just one example of a hundred. Um, and I think the problem is <laughs> the elites, if they can't convince the people, they'll just get a new people. And that what I'm worried about is if Biden and Harris take uh, the White House, they may not have the horses in Congress to get major things passed, but they can make certain executive decisions. And one of them may be I mean, you're, you would know the Constitution better than me, the mass naturalization or normalization or amnesty of literally tens of millions of aliens who would obviously vote for the welfare state Democrats. And if you can't beat them, just, just you know, if you can't make Texas blue, just normalize and naturalize one, two, three million migrants and you've got it. I, I mean, there's certain things that are un changeable like a ratchet you can't move back am i too pessimistic no if anything it might be too optimistic to even think that a republican senate to the extent the republicans retain the majority in the senate which is still a bit up in the air uh, that they will even serve as a sufficient check with respect to this because to your point on immigration for example Senator Lindsey Graham has already come out and said that he'd be looking to work while he'd be a reliable conservative he'd be looking to work with a President Biden on debt, infrastructure, and you guessed it, immigration. So that's your Republican establishment right there, already indicating acquiescence potentially to that agenda. But all that said, the point is absolutely right that with executive authority, a lot can happen. First of all, everything that President Trump has done with executive authority can instantly be canceled out. And of course, the courts won't challenge this, even though they challenged the president for trying to revoke President Obama's executive orders. Then, of course, they can do all sorts of other things to affirmatively use executive power. And with control over all of these administrative agencies, which serve as a fourth branch of government and which, frankly, the legislative branch has punted all power to. It's essentially all at the administrative agencies and the Supreme Court because Congress doesn't want to actually have to put its neck on the line to do anything and stand up for what it purports to represent. Uh, we have major challenges that we're going to face as a consequence of executive power. And, and you can foresee any of myriad things, whether it's with the woke agenda or immigration or beyond, but certainly immigration is probably the, the first point of if you're trying to ensure what you think is going to be a permanent majority, that's right up there. You know, had they been able to take the Senate, then you would be into the realm of court packing and new Green Deal, obviously, and socialized medicine and mass amnesty through legislative action and D.C. and Puerto Rico statehood. And you can keep going on the list. I mean, but 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 the main point is, yes, they'll do anything and everything they possibly can within the law and outside the law to impose their will on all of us, because at the end of the day, they don't want any opposition. They want the opposition dead, gone, figuratively. Um, we've all been you know, we're all getting thrown in an ideological gulag right now on the big tech that they control. And it just portends terrible things for the country and anyone around the world who believes in freedom, because this really is the last bastion of it. I mean, I hope that there are other places 
I, I don't want another place to be more liberal in the classical sense than America, but we may need it because that's the direction that we're heading. You're talking about things that can be done through executive power. You didn't even mention foreign policy, which you can see China and Iran already celebrating. Licking their chops. Yeah, and then even, I was just thinking the EPA, how with a few strokes of a pen, um, so much of Joe Biden's threat to phase out oil and gas, to to uh, stop fracking, um, I think that a lot of those things can be done, even if it's not from Biden himself, from his appointees, I can only imagine how radical his appointees would be for certain of these agencies. And remember, he was the vice president uh, when the Iran deal went through. I think that, I think we are in uh, tough times. Let me ask you this, and my monologue today, I said, all right, let's skip ahead the next few weeks and let's assume the worst. Let's assume that Biden becomes president through whatever means. And I tried to say, well, what will happen then? And I, I, I tried to look at foreign affairs and, and the economy and things of that sort. What do you think Trump himself would do if he is finally lost? I mean, I, I think that he would fight like hell until the absolute last minute, and then he would go. But let's say he's gone and Biden is inaugurated. What would Trump do on the next day? I think Twitter, by the way, would actually dis- disactivate, deactivate his account. I think Twitter would absolutely ban him from the platform, by the way, if they could do it knowing he was no longer president. But what do you think he would do a day after the inauguration? Well, the first thing is uh, personnel. Uh, There's an executive order that was put forth by the president that in theory would allow him to en masse fire civil servants. Uh, So that would be, my first point would be, fire as many swamp creatures as you possibly can, including senior ones and ones down the ranks as well, and attempt, if you can, to get actual conservative anti-establishmentarian people into these positions as soon as you can before the end. I mean, just ask yourself, what would Democrats do in an equivalent situation? And of course, Democrats, they would have spies and saboteurs everywhere, and they'd be issuing FISA warrants probably to spy on a on an incoming team and they'd be trying to stymie the transition and laying all sorts of landmines everywhere. So that's one thing. The the second thing would be, with respect to national security and foreign policy, lock in as many possible accords as you can that cannot easily be undone when a Biden team comes in. And then the third thing is declassify every last document that you possibly can to shine a light and have open transparency on all of the misdeeds and crimes that those in the Obama-Biden administration, many of whom will be reprising their seats, would be reprising their seats in a Biden-Harris administration, so that the American people know it all. We, No one should be afraid of what the truth is in those documents, and we need to know everything about Russiagate to start with, and then the Iran nuclear deal, and many other massive scandals that transpired under an Obama-Biden administration. The other side, of course, will say, you know, he's a, he's a dictator, he's purging everyone, and he's trying to stymie, he doesn't want a peaceful transition of power, which is BS, and the other side, of course, did not allow for a peaceful transition of power for four years, and now we're trying, are close to toppling the president. Uh, I, but I think that sunlight is the best disinfectant, and so the first thing I'd say, on behalf of the American people, you deserve to know what the swamp really looks like, and I'm gonna pull back the curtain on it, and here it is, and I would declassify everything as fast as possible. Well, these are going to be very interesting days. I, I am frustrated by how quickly the Republicans in name only 
have abandoned the president who gave them such a successful term. But I shouldn't be surprised. There's nothing um, less durable than political gratitude, is there? Ben, it's great to talk to you again. Uh, keep your eyes on things, and I'm sure we'll check in with you uh, quite frequently in the days and weeks ahead uh, in this momentous time. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Ezra. All right, there you have it, Ben Weingarten, a fellow at the Claremont Institute, a columnist with Newsweek.com, and of course, the author of American Ingrate, the authoritative biography on Ilhan Omar. Stay with us, more ahead. Welcome back. Paul writes, the Democrats cannot form a legitimate government at this point. They have zero credibility. If America accepts this rigged election, they will never have a fair election again. Well, who? I mean, the media has already accepted it. We'll find out if courts accept it. I'm pretty sure the 70 million Americans who voted for Trump do not accept it. Cindy writes, at one time I valued on what you had to say, but now you are just a mouthpiece trying to cause division of people in the U.S. and in Canada. Before the election even started, Trump mentioned about it ending up in the Supreme Court. He has turned the entire country into a state of chaos and the laughingstock of the world. Suck it up, Trump, and take it like a man. Ezra, stay out of it. It is not your country. All right, well, I have to say, I will accept a little bit of blame for causing division in the United States, but I don't think I caused the blame by just talking to the video camera up here in Toronto. I'm pretty sure it's Americans duking it out down there and pugnacious Trump and the Democrats giving it. I mean, I, I have my opinion, but I, I don't think I'm going to take the blame for the divisiveness in American politics. You know what, though? When you have a vote, it's often called calling for a division. And there's no greater call for a division than once every four years where every single American citizen gets to participate in the division. So I hate the cheating, but calling for a division, that's another way of saying peacefully and democratically making decisions, which is the best way. All right, my friends, that's the show for today. Until Monday, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.